Are you ready to turn your investments into retirement income? Listen in as Jeremy Kyle and his guests reveal ways you can make smarter retirement, investment, and tax planning decisions to achieve your ideal retirement. You will learn more about your money so you can feel better about your money and make better money decisions. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Retirement Revealed. I'm your host, Jeremy Kyle, and we're here to turn your retirement savings into a consistent income. Today, we're talking with Bobby Rebel about launching financial grownups. I just met Bobby at a financial conference, and she was instantly helpful, instantly personable, instantly vulnerable. There is just no facade. You're an open book, Bobby, which is maybe why you chose to write a book. So, Bobby, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm very happy about launching Financial Grownups. It's actually my second book. So now I feel like I'm a real author. I feel kind, kind of legit. Still a lot of imposter syndrome going on, but two books. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. And well, you're a legit author for sure, because this is not even self-published, which is the big thing no. these days. You've got a publisher. Uh, yeah. You're legit. Well, I don't want it. First of all, let me just say, for those of you who have self-published, go for it. I think it's amazing. I think there's a lot of upside to that. I did choose to go the traditional route with my books, but I think there's a lot of great stuff going on in self-publishing. So let's applaud the, the authors that go for it themselves as well. Yeah, they got me beat. I don't have a book yet myself, but maybe one day, maybe one day. <laughs> you will, you will. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about launching financial grownups. Our listeners are planning to retire. They're already retired. So they are hoping to launch their financial grownups. They're probably thinking, I can't retire until I launch my financial grown-up. So you're gonna be a lot of help there for us. But first I wanna ask, you told me when we met that you like to golf every Tuesday. And I think yes. I saw a picture that you were maybe a winner recently. Tell us about that. Oh, thank you. Well, I did take up golf during the pandemic and I'm working really hard at it. I actually, our club has many tournaments, but I did come in first in what is basically, let's call it what it is, Jeremy. It was the beginner tournament, but I love that. I will treasure it forever. I hope to move on to the intermediate the intermediate tournament next year. But yeah, so I won the sea flight at our golf club and I am super proud. And I will tell you, I think that it's important in life to take chances. I was very nervous about entering a tournament because you know, suddenly there's all these other people keeping score and they do make a big deal out of it. And my heart was racing and I took it very seriously. And I was really, really proud of myself just to take that chance and put myself out there with something that was very new to me. I hadn't played a lot. I just, you know, I learned to score literally during the pandemic. I played casually, but didn't own a pair of clubs. Uh, a set of clubs or anything. So I definitely advocate picking up hobbies in midlife and challenging yourself. And even if you're in that sea flight, go for it. And, you know, hopefully you'll, you'll be a champion one year, but even if you're not, just be part of the tournament and, and enjoy your life and don't be afraid to take on new challenges. Yeah, that's great. Well, good for you. I'm sure a lot of people listening are golfers and they will appreciate the vast difference between playing on your own and playing in a tournament. I'm sure there's a, a much different feel. There was a much different feel. Yes. There were a lot of people watching and they were keeping score and the caddies deny that they were betting on it, but I'm not so sure. I feel like there might've been some betting going on behind the scenes, but we'll <laughs> that's see. Awesome. It was a lot of fun. In all seriousness, it was so, super fun. Yeah, that's cool. Well, let's talk about launching financial grownups. And in the book, you talk about our almost adult kids. Tell me more about that because it's interesting. You mentioned that you bought your first home at 23. You're investing since you're a teenager. Myself too. I started investing in an S&P 500 index fund with a Roth IRA when I was 19 years old. So I guess tell us about this whole idea of almost adult kids and maybe why are you and I outliers? Like why, what, what, what does most of America look like with this? 
Well, I don't know that we're outliers. I think we um, don't give a lot of people enough credit because I do think people do really try their best. And I think many people are well-intentioned and not everyone has. I know in my case, I did have a lot of advantages and that I did not have college debt. And I was able to live with my parents while saving up for that home. And that's something that I passed on to our oldest child who is featured in the book and bought her first home at age 24. And that sort of frames the story around the book. And, and I will say, you talked about getting a traditional publishing deal. When I got the initial deal with my publisher, Wiley, who's been great, we didn't know how the story would end. We knew that she was living at home during the pandemic, saving up to buy her first home. And we were doing a lot of things to help her in terms of monitoring what she was doing and doing check-ins. And she had a whole Excel spreadsheet of, you know, how her progress was going, but we didn't know how, you know, how it would go. And she did. I'm so proud of her. She did succeed. What I learned in writing the book is that in raising kids. And, and I talk about ages 16 to 26 in the book, because that's sort of the age that I was, was dealing with at the time with, I had two kids that were in their early twenties. When I came up with the idea for the book, you really have to be partners with them. You have to be their parents. Absolutely. But you have to understand that they're only going to do what you can motivate them to do. And that's something really important. I know you've had Dr. Daniel Crosby on, on your podcast and he talks about motivation so much. And that's something very personal that is unique to each person. And you can't necessarily tell them their goals. So the oldest child, her goal was very much to own her own home. And she even backed into that by choosing a career that would pay more than her first idea for a career just to get to that goal and not feel financially pinched. That was something that was super important to her. Kid number two, just moved home after college. We're not sure what his housing situation will be long-term. As we record this, he actually just started. We're so proud of him. His first day of work and his first job. And he's not sure that he wants to stay in the New York City area. So his first financial big goal is not necessarily to buy a home. So all this to say, when you're dealing with almost adults, you got to listen to them and focus on their goals and then be a parent or a grandparent or just an adult that cares about them and help them get to their goals. Yeah, and you said almost adults, and you mentioned too the uh, the psychology, the brain science behind it. Mm -hmm. Like their brain isn't fully formed till twenty five. Mm -hmm. So when you're twenty two yeah. year old, when you're twelve year old, when you're eighteen year old is acting not like an adult, you can't blame them. That's just how their brain is is set up. And so it's it's nice and kind of forgiving, I think, how you mentioned that and go through that in the book too. And you said yeah. um, modeling how you modeling some some financial, I guess financial good stewardship, good, good ways to go about things. But you also talk a lot of listening, right? Less telling, yes. more showing, more modeling, more listening. Tell us about that. I love that question, Jeremy. Thank you. It's really important that you not, you, sure, you can be friendly with your children, but remember that you are their parent, but you're not your, their parent the way you were when they were younger. You have to change the way that you approach them. And again, every child, every situation is going to be different. You have to adapt this to work, what works for you. But what I've found is that you have to listen to them and what their goals are first and then work backwards and make sure that they know you're not going to judge them if they come to you with questions. So just this week, as my son was getting ready for this first job, he came to me and I was so happy when he's filling out those HR forms. And we had to discuss, oh, what does this form mean? What does this form mean? And I made sure to show him that I knew most of the answers, but not all of them. I said, you know, I'm not sure what they're asking there. Let's Google it together mm -hmm. so that he knows that you don't necessarily know everything, but you're going to be there to help him figure out what it is and then decide what the best course of action is for him. So for example, if they're offering health insurance, well, 
He's currently still able to be on our plan. He's 23 years old, just turned 23. So he can still get health insurance with us, but he's being offered health insurance. So let's discuss this. And what I love about the concept of launching financial grownups is this is real world decisions. It's so important when kids are under 16 to be doing these things as exercises. They can be real, of course, in some cases, but very often you're teaching them the idea of something, right? You're saving for something, but you're not necessarily filling out HR forms with them. You're not necessarily making sure that if they get into a rental apartment, they have the right insurance. When you're dealing with kids that are, or almost adults that are in this age range, 16 to 26, it's happening. This is a time that life is actually happening, but you're still their parent. And it's important that you be there to guide them and not judge them so that they keep coming back to you. If you judge them, they won't come to you. They'll either try to figure it out themselves and that might work out or it might not, or they'll come to somebody who may or may not have the right answers, right? We know that if they go to their friend and say, Hey, should I pay off my, it may not be this direct, but let's just make it an obvious example. (laughs) Should I pay off my credit card in full or is it better to, you know, have a balance choice? So, you know, more history, the friend might not have the right answer right? So you want to make sure that they come to you. And if you don't know the answers that you find the answers for them or with them and make sure that they have that communication line open. Yeah. Yeah. And you, yeah, the quote I loved in the book was it's, you said, let kids learn without a lecture. Yes. I love that quote too. I forgot we had that in there. It's a great, That's one. A great quote. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can put that in I'm a gonna t-shirt. Use that, Jeremy. You should. Yes. It's your I quote. should. I, you know, I have, I have my grown up gear line that I'm actually um, doing some new products for. So maybe that's a good one for yeah. grownupgear.com. There's that's my awesome. little plug there. Yeah. It's, it is really important because you're going to just alienate them. And they're at an age where depending on where they are in their development. And, and as you mentioned, there's a lot of brain development that is going on at this age. There's times when they really want to separate from their parents. And this gets into psychology and I'm not a psychologist, but they do want their independence. They are going to push away from their parents at times. You want to make sure that they know that you're there for them, even though they're sometimes rejecting you when it comes to other things and that you're keeping a close eye on them. I mean, I can see what is going on in my older children's bank accounts. And that's something that we've had because if we give them subsidies in the form of things like paying for their college tuition, having them live at home rent free, or just frankly, because they're your kids and you love them, you know, keep those lines open where you can see what's going on in their bank accounts. I don't, for me, I don't think it's an invasion of privacy at all. I think it's a a way to, you know, support and love them to say, let's keep, let me see what's going on in your brokerage account. Let's go over it, have that visibility with them so that you can help them. And also prevent them from making decisions that might hurt them in the future. Like when you fill out these extra forms, make sure you're investing in whatever retirement funds are available to you because, and this is a conversation I did have with the 23 year old just last week. This is the time in your life when you are an almost adult, you will never in most cases have more choice available to you with your money. So he's going to earn X dollars per week in his new job. He has no obligations right now. He has no wife. He has no children. He has no apartment. He has no mandatory bills. He can literally put all of it. The first we talked about it, the first $6,000 goes right into his Roth IRA. And we had this discussion and it's easy now. And I said, I hope you earn enough money that you will no longer be qualified for a Roth IRA in the future. But right now you're qualified, throw it in there, do everything you can, because this is the time 
when in terms of a percentage of your income, you probably have the most to invest. And a lot of young people forget that. And that goes to retirement because when you, your show, you know, you're all about retirement. Hopefully people come out. It's like the middle years. And, and my husband and I are sort of getting out of this where we're sort of winding up the tuition and college and all that. And we're moving into an empty nest phase. We now suddenly have more disposable income to invest, but it's not going to go as far as the money we put in in our 20s. Yeah, that's right on. And your course, guiding them, you're educating them. Now, something you mentioned, and I want to talk about this, of how do you actually do this? Because you you talk about these helicopter parents. I'm probably more of a helicopter parent. And then you get to the point where the kids get older. And you said helicopter parents are turning into concierge parents. So how do you, uh, how do you guide them? How do you have access to their bank account and not be quite so helicoptery, not be so concierge-like, but still have like the, the right level of con- connection? I love that question. So having the information and keeping tabs on them as needed is very different from proactively solving their problems with money. So for example, when he was in college, said now then 21 year old or 22 year old came to us and said, I have a film project I want to do and I need a budget of this much money. And this is a conversation right around the kitchen table. And my husband, who's amazing, we just looked at each other and we knew at this point we're in sync on this stuff. We knew we weren't going to write that check. We could, but we weren't going to. And so we just said to him, how are you going to raise the money? And then we worked through ideas with him about how he could raise the money. And the most wonderful thing happened. He only raised about half of it. He did it through a GoFundMe campaign. And what was great about that is then he had to learn, well, sometimes you don't have the budget that you thought you needed. What can you adjust in your life, right? Because sometimes as much as we love to say we want to reach, for example, this number for our retirement savings, sometimes you're not going to reach that number. Well, you'll be fine. You just have to course correct and make different choices and it's going to be okay. And you know what? His movie is amazing. So we're really proud of him. And I think that the important thing is to be there for the discussion, be there to help them find ways to solve problems and just try to avoid writing the check. Yeah, that's so great. Like that, you know, <laughs> you can, we contributed. I will say we did contribute to his fundraising campaign. And, and I think, you know, if you need to subsidize a child while they're getting on their feet, that's fine. Just have an exit strategy and, and be open about it and say, we're going to give you this amount of money and this is the timeline. Because it's also important that your children understand that your money has to go for your retirement. And you don't want to be supporting your children at the detriment of your retirement savings or your retirement life later on. Both because it hurts you, but also what if something happens to you? Are they going to be prepared? Because even if you say, well, they'll inherit money, let me tell you, a kid that is not able to support themselves and live within their means could blow that retirement like that. Mm -hmm. And you don't want that either. Yeah. And I like how you mentioned the rules, the expectations, have a timeline, because it is common these days your kids move home after college or or you're writing this in the middle of pandemic like it was yeah. if you wanted to see your kids pretty much they had to move in with you and then you got uh <laughs> you got a full dose of them again but you had rules you had expectations you had a timeline you kind of set the expectation that this is not normal life forever but for some people it almost it almost is there's a few quotes you had in there about half of parents are sacrificing their retirement to help adult children. I've heard people say that, yes, there are student loans, but there's no retirement loans. So if mm-hmm. you're you know, paying for kids college and it's at the detriment of your retirement, you know, that you can't make that up. You know, the, the kid could make it up through, through student loans uh, and it just could backfire. I remember one of my favorite books is A Millionaire uh, Next Door, where it gives plenty of examples where the successful couple, they've got 
plenty of money and they look at maybe their their kids and they say, hey, we're gonna help you buy a bigger, better house. And then they stop there. Well, that actually backfired because you just gave your kids a bigger, better property tax bill and more utility bills. And then they look up and down the street and everyone has a nicer car than them because everyone that else that bought has higher income. And so the, the initial short-term get through it with uh, writing out a check for whatever it is usually backfires in the end. <laughs> That's it's, I love that you brought that up because we have very short term memories. I mean, my husband and I have talked a lot about this because we fall into this trap where we want our children to live effectively a, you know, a smaller uh, footprint apartment of, at the same level that our apartment is at. So my apartment now, I have flipped real estate for multiple years in New York City. Part of the reason I can live in New York City is because I bought that apartment when I was 23 and just the good fortune of the timing. So we, my husband lived, you know, he'll say it was a total dump in a dangerous neighborhood with a roommate. And we're not going to allow our kids to do that. Okay, that's good. But remember, in terms of price point, then it gets really tricky because you don't want your kids to live, you know, in what now I think could be, you know, not good conditions. But we also have to remember that they have to live at the appropriate economic level for their income so they can support themselves. Or if we're subsidizing them, they can, you know, roll off that in a reasonable time period. So it does get trickier. And I think that's part of why we have so many children that are living at home or are subsidized by their parents, because we have these short memories and we don't realize that maybe we piled in with four or five roommates at the time. And we didn't have all of the extra things you talk about. I mean, everyone's got the cell phones. We're all carrying thousand dollar computers in our hands. I mean, the expectation of lifestyle has really been upgraded and it's challenging. And so it's really important as parents that when your kids, for example, ask for a recommendation for where to go to dinner, don't pick the most expensive place. Don't pick necessarily where you can now afford to go. If you want to suggest something that's going to be price appropriate for them. And that also goes, by the way, to peer pressure, which is something with the social media that a lot of our kids are experiencing. It's important to remember to remind your kids, I should say, that just as they might feel peer pressure to go to a more expensive place, it's their responsibility to think about the fact that some of their friends have a lot less money than they do, or may be in debt, may have student debt they don't want to talk about, or credit card debt that they're embarrassed about. And so as a way to show how much you care about your friends, take the lead when you make plans with your friends and pick something that's going to be affordable to everyone. We definitely get this vision of the lifestyle we're supposed to lead by social media, and that can be really detrimental for all of us. We get that even in retirement. People feel this is, we get so many marketing messages, you know, the, like the Adirondack chairs looking at the sunset as you're on this, you know, or you're on this yacht. That's not necessarily retirement for everyone. And by the way, not everyone really wants that. Sometimes people just want to chill and be in their house that they had for their whole life and, and just be able to relax and enjoy their family, right? So we, we have to be very careful not to set ourselves up or our children up for financial expectations that nobody necessarily needs or wants. It's Jeremy Kyle here, and I know you're listening to the Retirement Reveal Podcast because you want to learn more about making great retirement decisions. I've created a free video course for you to do just that. Head over to 5stepretirementplan.com and sign up to receive this video training right in your email inbox. We broke down our 5-step retirement plan into bite-sized videos so you can get started on the retirement, investment, and tax planning you need to create a consistent retirement income. Go to 5stepretirementplan.com. Use the number or spell it out. You'll get there either way. 5stepretirementplan.com. Thanks for listening. And now for the rest of the show. 
Yeah, I like how you're talking about the financial expectations, kind of the two ends of it, of if you are in a group that has higher financial expectations than you, because maybe you make the same salary, but they're just spending all your money and you're saving all the money, like you should have the guts to say, I'm not gonna go to this restaurant or on this vacation. It's gonna be tough, but uh, yeah. you'll, you'll need to do that. And then the opposite too, if you are blessed and fortunate, maybe you got an inheritance, maybe you saved when you're 20 and your friends didn't, and now you're 40, now you're 60, maybe you realize not everybody can drop the level of money that you can on a certain vacation or a certain restaurant. And so if you're trying to include all the, the friends in there, you've got to uh, adjust and, and be aware of the different expectations people have. Yeah, because there's all these studies that show that really what makes us happy is being with our friends and family and people that we care about. And that's what's important. And I know even my husband and I, so we crossed 50, and we're now starting to think, and as I mentioned, we're newly empty nesters. Our, our youngest is now out at, at school. And we're starting to think about where we want to be in retirement. We don't necessarily want to give up the home that we're in right now that our children grew up in, but we do want to have a home probably in Florida. And one thing that we're considering is we want to make sure that we are not at a place where we stretch to buy and we feel like everyone around us is just has, is at a different economic level than we do. So, you know, that's another thing with retirement is don't set yourself up for feeling bad about whatever amount of money you have. You generally are going to be happier if you are in the right place. You can always change in the future, but I think it's important to not feel that peer pressure because as much as we think we outgrew it in middle school, I think we all have a little bit of FOMO sometimes um, yeah. when it comes to money. And it's just not fun if all your neighbors are going to something that is just way out of your price point, price range, or your budget, you're going to want to go and you have no good decisions. If you don't go, you feel bad. If you go, you blew your budget. So don't set yourself up for, you know, just chill. Yeah, you get <laughs> just it. to be happy. Well, and one thing that uh, is a pet peeve of mine is people say, oh, it's hotter these days. It's different these days. And I think it's just different challenges kind of to the same level. But something that is different for the first time since, I don't know, uh, 10,000 years or so, like there's a thing called digital money. Like it, it is harder to teach your kids about money when they never see dollar bills you know how how do you go about teaching your your kids your grandkids about money when you use your phone use your credit card the box from amazon just shows up like there's no check writing anymore i remember going to the grocery store with my mom growing up and she would write out a check every time like i i realized that there's money involved with that and kids grandkids they just don't uh, realize that how can we how can we combat that such a good question I would focus on the positive elements of it because we can't change it, as you said. And that is that there's a digital paper trail or is that the right word? I guess we can't really say paper. But so, right. for example, <laughs> with, with my 15 year old who is away at school right now, I can see everything he buys. So we have discussions. So rather than put him on an arbitrary allowance, um, and of course, since he's not living at home, I can't be like, you know, you pay this if you make your bed or whatever it may be. And, and by the way, that always backfired anyway, but that's a, a tangent. Always, if you give your kid allowance, make sure anything, any conditions or things they actually want to do because sometimes, or that they actually need the money for something because that backfired. We offered him an allowance and he had to do certain things, but he he wasn't materialistic. He didn't really need to buy right. anything. And so he just was like, okay, great. That means I don't have to make my bed. But with him, so I put money on his digital, digital wallet at school and I can see everything he buys. So I think it's awesome because then I can have discussions about the choices he's making with his spending versus if you gave him cash, you you have to ask them. Maybe you can ask them and say, give me a paper receipt. But I think it's a much easier discussion if everything is there. And also they can add up the numbers much more quickly. You know, you can put it into a spreadsheet or any, whatever your favorite app is, and you can have them understand 
where their money is going. You can have them literally designate, okay, you know, let's say you have a kid that will respond well to allowance and maybe someday he will. But as I said, he's just not materialistic. Um, for now we're working on it, but, and, and by the way, another tangent that I just want everyone to know, see, I'm struggling too. You can go through things you can, you can make a pie chart and say, okay, let's, focus on putting this much into saving, this much you're going to give to charity, this much you're going to do investing, we're going to talk about stocks and so on. And I think it really opens up the door for a very tangible discussion and also for a lot of visualization because sometimes kids, depending on how they learn, can learn better with a real visualization. So I'm going to go with the digital is good, especially given that it is what it is and there's no going back. Yeah, and that, that's great. I appreciate you, you saying that of, okay, things have changed and so you, you can't... Uh... I guess you could count out the dollar bills and put them into cash envelopes, but right. which is fine maybe for a six-year-old, 10-year-old, but you get to 16 and 20 and 26, that's just not going to be reality. And now it's even yeah. better, the fact and that we did that. digital. By the way, we did that. And, and, and that is still available to parents. When he was younger, we did save money. Ron Lieber, who has a great book for anyone with kids below age 16, I highly recommend The Opposite of Spoiled by Ron Lieber, who is also one of the sources in my book. He's wonderful. We did have the jars that were save, spend, give. And we did go to the bank and we did put the money in the bank. And we had to, we made a choice. You can go to a machine that takes, I believe, 11% or you can hand roll them. And we did hand roll them. And it was a good discussion. He was very young at the time. And we did hand roll and he understood that quarters were so much more valuable than pennies. He said, it's so much more work to wrap all of these pennies. And then he really liked the quarters and, and it, it was a really good exercise. So I would not dismiss cash with very little kids. It's still around. You can yeah. still use cash. Yeah. But I, I personally think digital has so many wonderful advantages when it comes to teaching kids about money. And I hope that more people embrace those, those advantages. I mean, even when you're making a purchase um, here in New York City, we might even be in a taxi. And I can go through with my, with my son, we used to go through how the bill added up. So even though it said it cost this amount of money, wait, there's a toll for going below a certain street level. Wait, there's extra money because it's this time of day. Wait, there's this extra charge for this other miscellaneous thing. Yes, don't move to New York City, people. It's crazy. <laughs> um, so you can you you see it right on the screen as we're having this taxi ride. We had this mini money lesson of wait, how come we thought it was this much, but the bill is actually this much, and then we added the tip, and it was this much. And he's like, "Wow, this taxi that we thought was going to be seven dollars was actually fifteen dollars. That's amazing. We need to think about this. I don't know if I want to spend this money." And you know, those discussions will lead to like, wait, maybe we should just walk. Maybe we should take the bus. And and by doing those in real time with your kid and saying, this is how much money we have to spend today after school. Do you want to go for a snack or do you want to go in the taxi and not have to walk to your next activity? Empower them with simple choices. Which one do you want? And be prepared for either one. And then let them feel empowered and understand the power of the money. I think it can be really interesting. Yeah. Well, you've been so transparent about your own situation and the idea of transparency is a big one there and even the the discussions you have the conversations just having the conversations is a helpful yeah. thing now i've got to ask you you're seeing what your kids are spending how much are you sharing about your financial situation as you and your husband with your kids this changed a lot during the pandemic for us and i think for many families and that is something that i write about in launching financial grown-ups that because we were all home we were able to have much more candid discussions, especially with the two older kids who are now 25 and 23. So during the pandemic, one at the beginning of the pandemic, one had just graduated college and was still living at home. 
saving for her apartment that she now bought. And one was, one came home his sophomore year from college. And so they were in the thick of it. And during the pandemic, it seems so far away, but at the beginning, you know, I'm self-employed. I had no idea. All my businesses, everything shut down. So I went to zero income completely. So they heard that, you know, they heard what was going on. My husband's job did not have a disruption, but he was suddenly working from home. We were all there. So you're able to hear a lot more and we were able to speak to them very differently because they were almost adults. And so they had a new appreciation. For example, I think that the one that was in college had a whole new understanding of how much college costs, because I think he saw us sort of maybe complaining a little bit like, wait, we're paying all this money and you're home. You're not having the full college experience. And so I think it was, it was good for them. And I think it really opened up some discussions that were not focused on them and decisions. It was focused on them understanding that like we are a whole family. And we really, you know, I talk a lot about the family ecosystem and, you know, making decisions that make sense. So when it comes to the family ecosystem, that's the idea that you don't create a new cost just to teach a financial lesson. Find a way to teach the lesson without incurring a cost. So for example, if it's less money to keep the older child on our phone bill, because let's say it's a hundred dollars for her to have her own phone line and 25, and these are not exact numbers, 25 to keep her on ours. I'd rather have her either reimburse us for 25 or it's fine. If some parents wanted to say, we're just going to pay the 25, just let them know that, let them know that, that the phone costs money, but I don't like the idea of creating extra costs. So I think that's part of the transparency that should go on with your older kids. It's if you are going to incur a cost, let's say you're keeping them on your health insurance, show them what the health insurance costs so that they know when it's time, that's how health insurance works. Show them the bills. For example, a few weeks ago, the 23 year old got a bill. This was crazy. It was during the, it was from during the pandemic. It came very late. I think it's part of sort of an ongoing situation where there was a, like a clinic that did a, a, a what do you call it? A, a COVID test for him, like an instant test that was free, but then mm-hmm. they billed him a year later. So this might be happening to some people like they build the insurance company, I should say $300 for like a checkup. And I said, this doesn't look great. And I said, you know what? And then we had a copay of $25 that they were asking for. Now it would be very easy for me to just be like, okay, he's still in our home. I'll just pay the $25 fine. I was like, no, this doesn't look right. So I showed, showed it to him and I would always have shown it to him and said, we will pay this, but just so you know at this age, again, 23 year old, we're not dealing with a nine year old here. And I said to him, this doesn't look right. I want you to figure it out. And he had to sit for 40 minutes. He came into my room and said, I've been on hold for 20 minutes. What should I do? I said, stay on hold. I said, but put it on speaker. You can multitask, stay on hold because now he can see what it's like Mm -hmm. to fight a bill. He stayed on hold. It was 40 minutes. He spoke to them and they dropped it. Yeah. So everyone, by the way, so two lessons here. One, if you're paying any bills for your kids, make sure they monitor them. They verify them. They're aware that you're paying them. They're aware that they will eventually become their, their problem. But also teach them to be advocates for themselves. Teach them to question those bills because I don't think that charge was okay. I, he did not have in my mind a bill. They, they, an exam. They might have said, let's just take your blood pressure so that technically they could bill the insurance company Mm -hmm. for, a full appointment, but I, I feel really good about the fact that he now learned in real time from real experience, I should say to question bills 
and not just pay them. Even if they're, they seem small to you, those $25 really add up. I actually, I don't think that's so small, frankly. And I don't like the fact that they build us and, um, he fought it and I'm, I'm proud of him. And I think it was a great lesson for him to learn not to just pay your bills and, and you should automate certain bills, but, but look at them. Yeah. Always look at your bills. Oh, that's great advice. And you definitely gave us a lot of different tips, tricks, I'd say not tricks. Cause it's just, it's a lot of hard work. It's not a trick. It's a lot of hard work. And showing us ways, like how can you help your kids, your grandkids make these big money choices? So that's, I, I enjoyed every part of the book cause I was going through all those different, uh, different areas. I hope it came through that this is not about sitting them down and giving them like a one-two lecture on here's how to be a financial grown-up. It's really about the everyday. And I've really tried in this interview to give people very specific examples, none of which are in the book because they just happened. But use your life. Use whatever happens every single day to help your kids be financial grown-ups by just talking through what's going on because there's always something. Every time you spend a penny, something is happening that is a possible lesson. And you want to keep it, don't go too far. I did get scolded by my youngest one time when he hurt his toe and I told him that I was excited. At least it was December because we'd already paid the deductible. <laughs> he was a little annoyed. He's like, mom, I get it. I get it. Please. Yep. Can we just focus on the toe? Don't go too far like that. But you can use everyday, everyday life as the best way to teach your kids. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Bobby, I have one more question for you. Before that, tell us what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Oh, well, thank you so much. My website is just my name, bobbyrebell.com. I also have a fun merch line called grownupgear.com. If you put in um, the code grownup, you'll get 20% off your first purchase. And please listen to Jeremy on my podcast, which is Money Tips for Financial Grownups. And I hope you check out Launching Financial Grownups. And also my previous book is How to Be a Financial Grownup. And that's for the almost adults directly. That's for them. So I've got a book for the kids and I've got a book for the adults now, the parents and the grandparents. Yep. Awesome. And we're going to put links to all those in there. And we just love reading. We love encouraging people to read. So the first three people that email us podcast at kylefp.com, let us know, do you want becoming a financial grownup so you can give to your kids or grandkids or launching financial grownups if you want uh, some advice there uh, on how to do it yourself. So first three people that email us podcast at Kyle fp.com will be sending out Bobby's book to you. Or of course you can get the link, get it through Amazon uh, as well. Awesome. Thank well, you so much. Oh, and I will tell you, and also please leave a review for this podcast, number one, and please leave a review for my book and or podcast if you so choose. It's really appreciated. And Jeremy, you do such a great podcast. I hope people will leave a review five stars for you as well. There you go. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bobby. Now, the final question, we need you to tell us something about yourself that few people know about and remember that our podcast is rated clean. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. You're killing me here. You know what? I will, uh, well, I don't, you're putting me on the spot, Jeremy, that few people know. You're such an open book to begin with. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Gosh. Well, people may not know. Here's a fun fact trivia. So I started my career working overnights on C at CNN when I was in college and I was an intern for Maria Bartiromo who taught me so much and was a really great mentor. And I think she's great. And I appreciate that. So that's a fun fact. Oh, that's cool. I like that. That's a great, I knew you started in TV journalism. And so that's even uh, better to have that connection. 
she's probably telling stories about how she uh, worked with you, I imagine. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> but but anyway, but I, I learned a lot from her. And I learned a lot also from working overnights. I think that not that I recommend it to anyone, but just the idea that you put in the extra time. I know we talk a lot about quiet quitting these days, but I think we should all become, you know, try a little harder. So I think that pays off in the long run. Don't drive yourself crazy, but try a little harder at work. And maybe you'll be the one that gets promoted um, or gets the bigger raise. That's, That's good right. too. Yeah, I'm going to leave it with that advice. That's great advice. Thank you, Bobby. Thanks for coming on the show. And thank you for listening to the Retirement Reveal Podcast. We believe if you know more about your money, you will feel better about your money and you will make better money decisions. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Revealed Podcast. Click on the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit retirement-revealed.com to learn more. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal, accounting, or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For complete details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Kyle Financial Partners is a part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.